0: Welcome back to the latecomers. I'm Amity. I'm Lemuel. And this week, we are Spartacus. You're supposed to say it. Okay.
1: (laughs) I'm Spartacus.
0: I'm Spartacus. You guys, no matter who many people say that they're Spartacus, it doesn't matter because Spartacus, spoiler alert, doesn't make it. He does. He does then die. All right. Before we get to talk about 1960s Spartacus and some of the mess that goes along with it. Uh how was your week? Um, my week was actually really good.
1: It, we went to a concert on Monday of this week, which is the week before. Two um, weeks before. Two weeks before. <laughs> I was going to say the week before Thanksgiving.
0: Uh-huh. <laughs>
1: I mean, excuse me, Halloween. Yeah. One of these holidays.
0: Everything at the end of the year is becoming a big mush. Yes, We're getting into big mush time. <laughs> Yes, mentor, was your, I took you to a concert. Yes, you took me to a concert. I forced so you to go.
1: You did not force me to go. I could say no if I wanted to, and I did not care to. You told me, um, you asked me to go. I did. Uh, that was your third choice. So it, I
0: w- you were my originally my first choice, but then you were my third choice. Well, okay. no, you were my second choice. Mm-hmm. But you didn't want to go. So I tried to get my third choice to go, but then she had uh, her whole work exploded. Yes, it did. So she really couldn't, sad. she had to be at work until eight o'clock on the day of the concert and five o'clock the next day. Just not good for going out at night. No. <laughs> so, yeah, we went to a concert and it was really good and it was a really good day. It was like maybe one of my best days.
1: Oh, I'm glad to hear that.
0: It was, I was awesome. I was
1: around for one of your very best days.
0: It was a very good day.
1: So, who did we hear?
0: Say so again, we, we saw Death Cat for Cutie and also Yola Tango. Yes.
1: Mm-hmm. I was actually
0: surprised. I really enjoyed it. Is there, do you like them better on the inside? Um, I we think... had seen them at the Greek like years and years right. and years ago, and you weren't thrilled.
1: <laughs> but yes, I enjoyed it very much. Yeah. It was a light show, and there was all Fox
0: Theater, of... excellent. Right. It's a wonderful venue. Excellent venue. Do like mezzanine, where you can sit, because you're an old, and you don't want to stand through a concert. I don't want to
1: stand through a concert. I don't want to be that close to the stage. Yeah. So I took my glasses so I could see everything that was going on. Yeah. But, yeah, it was really remarkable.
0: It was good. I liked it so much. All right. You want to talk about this movie? Yes. So let's talk about Spartacus. Spartacus. Spartacus was made in 1960, and it's directed by Stanley Kubrick. And you would be forgiven if you forget that Stanley Kubrick directed this film, because it's really the only pay-for-play film that Stanley Kubrick ever did. What do I mean by that? I mean, Stanley Kubrick was hired to direct somebody else's script and somebody else's Right,
1: and this was mostly the thing. doing of, of Kurt Douglas. Yes. Who'd worked with Stanley Kubrick on a film called Paths of Glory, um, which is a, a really good film, as a matter of fact. It's a, it's a legal wartime thriller.
0: I like all of those things.
1: But um, but he was hired for this film in... Of course, Douglas takes a great deal of credit for that, although there's some doubt as to whether or not he was entirely responsible. Right. But it's also one of the few kind of mainstream films that Kubrick did, as he said, uh, to sort of, it provided him the opportunity to make the sort of films he did later on. Even though his movies were popular, things like Dr. Strangelove or even Lolita were very popular these were still very artistic kind of Oh, that's what right. he did, films. Lolita.
0: And afterwards, he went, "Yep, shouldn't have done that." Right. <laughs> oh, when they told me that that book was unfilmable, I understand what they mean well, now. Well, <laughs> he saw it
1: as a challenge, and that yes,
0: maybe don't he shouldn't have. maybe not a. Ch- <laughs> it's been made into a bunch of different movies, so people don't learn, I guess. Um, So this movie, this movie, this one that we watched is a very long movie, it's over three hours long, 197 minutes, and it is a Roman epic, I believe that the first time I saw this movie, it was called Gladiator. (laughs) (laughs) Which is not a direct, it's not direct, but it is. No. It's based on their leans on it. It's
1: based on a Howard Fast novel.
0: It a, a, a novel about right. a real person, right. right? Like a historical fiction book. And it, throughout the movie, you were saying, well, these are based, you know, all these are real people. And for some reason, I understood that to mean the Roman patricians, but not actually Spartacus. But y'all, Spartacus was real. Like, the the slave revolt that he starts is, like, a real thing that happened in history? I don't know why I didn't. (laughs) I don't know why. I was like, no, but he's the pretend thing. (laughs) I don't know. That was very odd. But, um, so this is based on the fictionalization Mm -hmm. of a real... Right person, or at least, um, I don't know if maybe the the fictionalized version is an amalgamation of more than one no, no, slave. There's one guy, there, right? But right. what we understand right. that, that he did is that all that one guy, or right. has all has a bunch of stuff been put onto one guy because that's how.
1: That's something that's even covered within the film when um, Lawrence Olivier's character, his general. um Goes on about trying to kill the legend of Spartacus. Yes, right. So Spartacus, as we understand him, these are the things that he did. Right, right. Uh, all the dialogue and the love story and all that, of course, is fictionalized.
0: The love story is terrible, and I wish it wasn't here. Really, okay. here's the thing, too. I mm-hmm. love a love story. I love a rom com. I don't, I don't need it here. I don't. At least not this way. <laughs> So, uh, do you wanna say any more about the making of the film off the bat, or do you no. want to get into the do you
1: want to it? address the subject that or do you want oh, to later?
0: yeah, let's talk about this okay. um it is uh probable to likely that Kirk Douglas was a rapist um, These are accusations that have come out. Not, like, pretty recently, I feel like. Right,
1: they were uh, fairly recently, and it was made by um, Natalie Wood's sister, Lana Wood, who's a a novelist, and and also an actress herself. And she claims that uh, Natalie Wood was taken to meet a very famous high-powered Hollywood producer and actor, and then uh, at his hotel room, was brought back to the, she was there for quite a while. She was just supposed to meet him.
0: This was in the num- summer of 1955 mm-hmm. when she was 15 and he was 38.
1: Right. It just. <laughs> and then he, um, she returns to the car and she's horrified and angry. And, you know, her, she was, uh, Lana was asleep in the backseat of the car, I believe. And uh, her mother was asking Natalie Wood all sorts of questions about what's going on, why do you look so disheveled, what happened, and she refused to talk about it. And according to Lana Wood, much later on told her that she was sexually assaulted and raped by Kirk Douglas. Uh, Kirk Douglas is a kind of a difficult personality to like on his own.
0: Yeah, he seems um, generally like a bit of an ass. Well,
1: he refers (laughs) to himself... I think in one of his biographies, first and foremost, Simon's son of a bitch. That was by his own admission. Oh, adventures.
0: so by your own admission, um, yeah.
1: And uh, when uh, one of his good friends, at least on film, Burt Lancaster, who done a number of movies with him, yeah, uh, said Kirk Douglas is an extremely per- difficult person. I'll be the first person to tell you that he'll be the second. So Douglas seemed to be aware of his own issues. Um, however, this was sort of beyond the pale. Even for the stories that you've heard about Douglas right, who often would threaten people on set or or get really angry or he was he was um I'm not sure how I feel about his abilities as an actor uh here, I think this film is really well suited towards him because he had a lot of physical action
0: and not a lot of words right he, yeah and, and so, he is. He's not in any way natural right? To, to me on screen, specifically in this role, but I don't know that I've seen a lot of his I, I saw a lot of his
1: films growing up, because he did the sort of things that I, you know, films like The Vikings and, and uh, some westerns that my dad liked, and he always played almost a superhuman version of himself, and because he had this remarkable physique, he'd been a wrestler when he was in school, uh, he was a very serious athlete. He uh, played a... I think his first big part was playing a boxer um, for which he trained extensively. So he was just one of those action actors. And he kept this up well into his 60s. He's still doing these sort of action hero parts. Right. Um, but I I was never firmly convinced about him as any one of the characters he played. So uh,
0: I... Well, and, and apparently hmm. I'm reading through his Wikipedia he was um this is a quote um he virtually ignored interventionist directors he prepared himself privately for each role he played so that when the cameras were ready to roll he was suitably and some would say egoi- ego egoistically or egotistically and even selfishly inspired to steal every scene in a manner comparable in modern times to J- to Jack Nicholson's modus Sam- operandi um although i've heard that actually nicholson is quite Generous to his scene partners. Mm -hmm. Yes, he wants the attention on him. Right. But if there's other people who need attention on them in the role, or in the scene, he does that. But yeah, Um, anytime I read that he doesn't want a director's input on the performance, and he prepares entirely alone, I'm like, oh no, that's not acting, though, because... You have other people that you're supposed to be interacting with. Like, that's important. He's just, he's
1: not, he's not a favorite of mine. Yeah. Um, And the fact that he often was miscast. At one point he is, in one of his great films, Burt Lancaster, he's playing Doc Holliday. Okay. Which for this physical specimen to be playing a man wasting away from consumption was not, it. you know. Yeah. It just did not work. You're looking at him going, thinking to yourself. He's fine. Yes. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I, uh, it sort of bothered me because now I couldn't see the film the same way that I did before. Yeah. Knowing that he was doing, that this, he was accused of this, um, and knowing that he himself had gone on about uh his sexual adventures and some of the biographies that he'd written and things right. like that i uh whether or not he actually did this i can't say
0: i can't say nobody i was not there in that mm-hmm. room um i think michael douglas's response was probably the cleanest right. which was just may they both rest in peace Yeah, because at this point both of them had passed um yeah, and if he did it, then he's going to get his. Right. I'm like, we, we let go and let God in this case. Um, but the idea that a 38-year-old actor as powerful as he was in Hollywood would have assaulted Natalie Wood is not 100% believable. Physically
1: powerful. I mean, it's when you look at him in this film, He's how old did you mention he was? Oh he was in his forties. Forties. In this film, yeah. And he had this sort of superhero physique and mm-hmm. to think of him just sort of manhandling this fifteen year old girl yeah. makes it even worse yeah. for some reason to me.
0: Um but uh yeah, it's And also you're gonna it, you're gonna you're gonna also go out and, and um brag about your finesse with women, but you have to attack this child, like mm mm. Mm-mm. We don't and, like it. And I'm not we sure don't.
1: exactly what motivates a person to do something like that. Especially when, apparently from even contemporary reports, he was a womanizer even while he was married. So why he felt he needed to dominate this young person, I don't because know. Because
0: he was an egoist and he right. felt that he was entitled to whatever he wanted. If again, that's the case, but that's so, We don't that, know. We don't right, know.
1: That's something that did sort of bother me about this film. I was glad, having watched it again, how much less screen time you I really than thought I, he was gonna,
0: I was like he's gonna be in every scene and that's gonna be rough and he is not in every scene right. and frankly there is uh, there's one particular performance in here that is spectacular uh, mm-hmm. nominated uh, but two performances that I particularly right. like um, and uh, th- that's where I wanted the attention so mm-hmm. I was fine with that so let's start we start with a very uh, ragged-looking Kirk Douglas, Spartacus. He's a Thracian slave. Uh, apparently, he's lazy, which there, there's no indication of that, but he's sentenced to starve to death, which is a wild thing to sentence somebody with, but that's fine, um, and is seen as he is in a pit starving to death by... Uh, Lentilus Bataidus. Bataidus is the best character in this whole movie. It's play- He's played by Peter Ustinov. He is so good. <laughs> he is a glutton. He is shrewd and an idiot. <laughs> he is Just all of the things about an aristocracy that you just are like, I love it and I hate it. He is a Kardashian for the Roman times (laughs) or not even a Kardashian, a hanger on. And we'll see that later. We'll see that later. So he uh, runs a gladiator school, guys. Okay, here's here's what we can learn from Spartacus. Don't train slaves to fight. Step one. Don't train slaves to fight. (laughs) Because when they decide to fight back, they're gonna win? Right. They're gonna win. And that's what what happens in this movie. So, um, he is purchased, he is trained, he is very good. Mm -hmm. Um, He maintains a pseudo-relationship with a serving woman whose name is Varinia. Varinia? Yes, I believe so. I struggle with her name. Varinia, yes. It sounds made up. Well, all names are made up. I understand. Okay, yes, you're absolutely right. 100%. <laughs> all names are made up. All the other names of this, I'm like, yep, sounds like a Roman name, I believe it. That one name just sticks out for me. Um, and she is played by Jean Simmons, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, not the one who leads Kiss. That's not who we're talking about. She's quite beautiful. And I don't know if she's bad at acting or if she can't act opposite Kirk Douglas, who doesn't act with people. <gasps> Here's the, I can't tell. To me, I think the best way to tell with her, who
1: I've seen, the first part I saw her in was in um, the original Black Narcissus. Okay. And she was in one of our favorite westerns, uh, The Big Country. Big Country. And so she's a very good actress. I think the thing is, she's one of the actors who depends on what you're giving her. She feels very
0: empathetic to me. Right. And when she's doing a scene with... When she's by herself? Right. She's stunning, and you can see all of this emotion on her, and you can understand what she's doing. When she's with Kirk Douglas... Kirk Douglas is not really... He's not really great at
1: interacting with people unless he's, he, he does great, one of the reasons why he was paired with Bert Lancaster is that he's another physically big yeah. physical actor. Okay. Right? Uh, Bert Lancaster had been a trapeze artist, a circus performer in his time. So here's like these two guys who basically kind of leveled up around each other. And with Gene Simmons, mm-hmm. you can tell that she does something similar acting-wise when she's in scenes with uh, the other cast members. Yeah. And this film has a spectacular cast. It does. It uh Laurence Olivier and yeah. of course Peter Ustinoff and and um and Charles Lawton. And Charles Lawton. Who Those just... are the two.
0: Peter Ustinoff and Charles Lawton are mm-hmm. the best. Y'all they're the best. Um, um but yeah, she is beautiful. But it's like this is a terrible analogy. Mm-hmm. But it's like if you were a mirror to your scene partner, right, and she's the mirror, but her scene partner is a vampire, and so there's <laughs> nothing she can't. <laughs> she just falls flat. The scene where they meet up mm-hmm. um after she's run away and and they're in that like a little it's like a like a meadow. Yeah. I don't know, it's a very weird set because it's very clearly on a sound stage. um. And it's all in purple for some reason. And they're like laughing together. It's it's so awkward as to be painful. I'm just like, this is not how people behave. And I understand that they're slaves. Mm-hmm. And they haven't been allowed to really have foster human communication. Right. But that's not what this feels like. <laughs> this feels different. Bad in a different way. I'll
1: tell you the best scene for me between Kirk Douglas and... Gene Simmons is the very first thing they share together, which is uh, the serving girls apparently at the gladiator school are bought in to please
0: the men. Yes. Um, They're used as rewards and treats for the gladiators who do well. So... And uh, probably also for the guards. (laughs) Right. She's put into a room
1: with Spartacus. Yes. Who is not... He's he admits to her that he's never been with a woman before. Right.
0: Because he was born a slave he's he been born... a slave since he was 13. Right.
1: And so part of probably what fuels his um incessant rage and in his success at being a gladiator is the fact that he's angry all the time. He's yeah. just been a slave. He was put into the school because he hamstrung a guard by biting him. Like biting through his Achilles tendon which is kind of Ooh. horrible when you think
0: about it.
1: And... <sighs> um, so when he sees her, she strips to her waist. There's a lot of nudity as far as you could get back then right. in this film. And, um, and he's in this sort of cell and he looks up through this grate in the cell and he hears um, Peter the... Ustinov's character and his second-in-command, who's played by uh, Charles McGraw, who's, uh, I think McGraw. Um, who's one of the gladiator trainers. Uh, played Marcell- who plays Marcellus, and they start laughing at him because he's so he does not know what to do with the woman essentially. Yeah, and he starts yelling through the grate, "I'm, I'm not, not an, animal. an animal." Yeah, and then she comments very quietly, "Neither am I." And I yeah. think that's their best scene together because there's a kind of an understanding that. She's resigned to being what she's being put here to do. Right, but that doesn't make still, her
0: less of a No, person. it doesn't.
1: It doesn't. And I think her character is her a
0: survivor. Right, is which interesting is interesting she
1: is in terms of what she does throughout the film. Yeah. I think she her is interesting. I think that those two together I don't think quite her jo- I think those
0: two together don't work, but mm-hmm. I think her character is interesting and I think hers is the most satisfying arc. Mhm. Right. Right. So that's where we see her. Um, he, um, uh, one day, one day at the gladiator school, uh, they're going to have a visitor. And that visitor is Crassus. We're just going to go with last names here. We mm-hmm. don't have to get into the first names. Crassus is coming. He's a patrician. He's bringing his friends and his lady friends who are terrible. They're the worst. But... um. He is played by Lawrence Olivier, right? Right, exactly. Right. And he is also uh, Batidas is, I guess, has fealty to um, Gracchus. Gracchus, yes. Who is? played by Charles Lawton, we see a bust of him that they try and hide. So Crassus and Gracchus are um, rivals. And, um, and but their relationship tries to is also very interesting. Of, are, it is, yeah, yeah. That's really, to me, the, the brains of the movie. Yeah, he's trying to stay as neutral as possible mm-hmm. while being well remaining in the good graces of as many people who can buy these gladiators as possible because that's how he makes his money and um crassus's lady friends decide that they want to see a gladiator fight and they want it to be to the death now normally at the school they do not have them fight to death why because it fucking upsets the slaves and you don't want to upset the slaves that you have taught to fight We'll see. We'll see more on this later. Um, when Batyatus says it's too expensive, we couldn't possibly. I mean, it'd, it'd be twenty five thousand, sister sister whatever sister it is like that, dollars, yes. 20, some obscene amount of money. And um, Crassus is like, "All right," and at that point he had named a number that he thought was way out of reach and at that point well we're doing this now so he's not excited about it but he's going to let them kill he tries to steer the ladies in certain directions and
1: yes the women make their own choices yeah uh, the
0: gladiators they want to see they're going to see two fights both Uh to the death so they're going to see two men killed and they're the ones picking out which men they want to see killed it's so fucking gross. It's so gross. They choose, of course, uh Spartacus and um an Ethiopian named Draba played here stunningly right. <laughs> Um by uh oh no, I forgot his name. Woody Strode. Woody Strode. His body is obscene. It's so <laughs> beautiful. Like and you said that... Right. The sculptor who uh, sculpted
1: the physical specimens of men and women outside the o- Olympic Stadium in Los Angeles based his anatomically perfect man on Woody Strode. Woody showed
0: He's, right. so <laughs> He's so beautiful. He's so beautiful. And we have seen um, Spartacus try and make friends, kind of, with right. some of the other slaves um, or gladiators, but they're like, we're not i'm not gonna be your friend because we have to fight each other
1: he really is wants to make friends with draba because draba yes. is Woody jones he's physically six foot four he's very tall very physically strong he does a great job of pl- portraying a lot with this kind of quiet dignity
0: this yes he's extraordinarily dignified and then he seems like deeply intelligent yeah um, in a way that is very um, appealing, you there's want, a, there's you're drawn a, to that.
1: There's a character named Crixus who's played by John Ireland, who actually does make friends with yeah. uh, Spartacus, and at one point they're sitting together in this sort of shed, waiting to go out to fight uh, for these, these this woman, these two women for their entertainment, yeah. because the men are just having a discussion throughout the uh, the gladiatorial contest, and it's shot in such a way that Kubrick is really emphasizing that. Well, the two men are just discussing something, like they're at a sporting event. The two women are like, this is.
0: We you see them, say, right. tell them, strip them down. Right, to where. Cover little... them only as much as modesty requires. Right. And realistically, those men were, would have, like, if this mm-hmm. is a historical thing, those men were naked. Right. There's no way that they would have afforded them any modesty at all because they didn't see them as people. So, what right. is my modesty does is not affected if it's not a people, and your modesty doesn't exist if you're not a people. Right. So, there's no way that they would have been clothed. Um, obviously, it's a right, it's a family film. I don't know, it's, it's not, a film in the 1960s. So right. <laughs> we're not, we're not doing that. Um, we do also have a scene where Crassus here buys Vernia for mm-hmm. 2000 Cistercian. Um, so that gives you an idea of what a person is trans, right. I- the, the cost of a person here, so twenty five thousand is not only a lo- because quite a of lot.
1: her looks and the fact that she probably um, is accessible, for lack of a better word. Right, right. Uh, the other thing is that she's also highly trained, and if you are educated, if you can read and write, if you can recite poetry, as we learn later on, which
0: she right. does, she was she was, she was educated for the mm. education of her first master's children, right. and then I guess they grew up and then she was given sold to mm-hmm. Matthias. because she, now she's here um, you know she seems very young for all of that as well like it's crazy um so there's two fights to the death uh the first happens and then the st- and, and we see most of that from inside of where Draba and spartacus are sitting facing each other listening to the deathmatch that's happening outside and just waiting their turn, which is insane. Mm. Um, and then they go. Um Draba's uh skill is a trident mm-hmm. and a net and a net, right. And then <clears throat> there's the Thracian sword, which is what Spartacus uses, and the tiny it's a little shield. Because it's called a buckle. But it's like buckler. a buckler. It's mm. so small. Yeah. It's so little. It's, it's so... Yeah. Uh, they trade back and forth. Uh, he he takes Drava down. Drava gets the upper hand and takes him down and has his trident basically to Spartacus' Spartacus's throat. Right. And the onlookers are shouting at him to kill him, to kill him, kill him, kill him. And, uh, Drava's over it. <laughs> right. And Drava throws his trident up. He, he does not hit anybody, unfortunately, because any of those motherfuckers would have been fine with me to at least get a glancing blow from that trident. And then he climbs up after them and is stabbed in the back by Crassus. Um...
1: Scarcus yes, avoided this. We should mention is a very historically famous Roman general. Yes, as well. So he, he still has the here, reflexes yeah. and the smarts not to be. You know, he's not
0: letting this man all the way right. up. He was still in climbing, and that's why he gets sort of stabbed in like the neck back yeah, area he... as he's coming up into the box because they are elevated up off of the mm. field of play <laughs> where the gladiators are fighting. The next day. They have hung Drava's body upside down as a warning. Uh, y'all, it doesn't um, work. So they're packing up uh, Batidas is like second in command is packing Vernia up to go to Rome and, and deliver her along with whatever er- other errands they have. And Spartacus and the rest of the slaves are like, fuck this. <laughs> and they just rebel they just start fighting back and um either they start in the kitchen where they have access to knives they do let the kitchen staff go like they they're not vindictive towards people that aren't fighting them uh and i was like if i was the guards i would i would be on their side so fucking quick. Right. <laughs> i'd just be like mm, i yep you're right <laughs> i will and but instead of uh you know, pushing Vernia off with his his second in command as they were supposed to go, he just is like, "I'll take her," because <laughs> he hears what's going on, and he's like, "Yeah, I gotta fucking go." So he gets on the wagon with Vernia and they take off towards Rome because he's like, um, "I can't fight these people, <laughs> so I'm gonna go ahead and let my guards handle it, and I'm gonna I'm gonna bounce so that they don't straight murder me." the gladiators do totally overwhelm the guards kill all of them that stay and fight and then they escape into the countryside spartacus is elected their leader which we kind of don't really see mm-hmm. and they're they're going to head home basically they want to head home they start and they are plundering estates as they go g- taking the slaves with them and stealing all of the wealth so that they are collecting money, um, <clears throat> they go back to the. the Batidas has lost his land. It right. is it is fully occupied now by these people, um, these slaves, and they are they're just constantly kind of going and coming and gathering forces up and just they'll sack an estate. The, the slaves will ways. turn against right. them or their masters they'll take the slaves with them and whatever wealth they can bring. And they they're just doing that sort of in waves coming in and out from the pris or the um mm. the gladiator school, which is kind of their base camp. But it's they're getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Um Varinia they do find Varinia. She um she didn't make it all the way to Rome because when Bataitus stopped once on the road on the way to Rome, she just got out and ran, and he was so... And they laugh about it. He was so fat he couldn't catch me. <laughs> right. And she just fucking bounced. And I'm like, yep, because why wouldn't you? She wasn't tied up. Mm-hmm. Um, They just presume that she's going to be passive be or docile or something. Docile, and she's a slave, and she knows her, her place, and she's just gonna be okay with being sold
1: mm-hmm.
0: onto the next house, and that's gonna be a no from her dog, so she meets back up with Spartacus, and they um begin their their relationship and it's awkward when they're together, and I don't like it don't I don't like it um the uh we see uh Crassus back in Rome mm-hmm. <clears throat> pissed that he didn't get his Varinia um and we see him take uh on a new slave antoninus a body slave like um the the term body man or body woman i i i think of that term in terms of a a political thing um and it's not that (laughs) it's like your bather like the person that Literally takes care right. of your bodily necessities, literally would wipe his ass for him like that would be
1: the a extent thing to which
0: you you could have somebody yes. do for you and these these men probably did have that because uh, um and there is in this in this cut that we watched mm-hmm. a scene that is static and dubbed um Wherein, um, Crassus makes an overt, I mean, it's done in the form of a metaphor, mm-hmm. but it's an overt sexual advance towards Antoninus, who then runs the fuck away. <laughs> um, it's about eating snails and oysters. Right. And the oysters are the ladies and the sna- snails are the gentlemen. <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> or the penis and the vagina, actually. I'm not even going to say man versus woman. Penis and vagina. <laughs> the, the
1: scene um, was shot by Kubrick knowing he couldn't include it in the finished film. Like the, he knew the censors would allow it? knew allow that because the film is really unexpectedly violent it at is. times. It is. And there's more at least of a control kind of nudity that you don't expect. Um, but, uh, the, he knew he wasn't going to get through with it, so during the restoration, the scene was discovered, and it's very static, and it's And you
0: said it wasn't filmed with sound. It wasn't filmed with sound.
1: So, um, during the restoration of the film, it's been restored twice, Tony Curtis is brought back to do his part. Okay. Laurence Olivier has passed on. Yes. And uh, so, Dame Plow- uh, Dame Olivier, which is Judith uh Joan Plurad. Joan, excuse me. Is she is um she's asked, do you know anybody who can supply the voice for uh, your late husband? And she says, Anthony Hopkins or Tony. She called him Tony. Is a great our friend, right? Does a great cover of my husband's accent. So. Anthony Hopkins is actually in the credits. Special (laughs) thanks to Anthony Hopkins for dubbing in this particular scene. Dubbing in this
0: particular scene about, do you eat oysters? I do when I have access to them. Do you eat snails? I Mm. haven't. Do you find anything abhorrent about the eating of snails? I don't. Well, I eat snails and oysters. And Antoninus understands this to will be, You will join me in my bed.
1: (laughs) And I think that that's also... It's not... The scene is not intended to be homophobic where Antoninus runs away, necessarily. I think what it is is the same thing, the reason why Spartacus is shouting, I'm not an animal.
0: There is that, but there's also... I think particularly... We don't know. Romans and Greeks are different. Mm -hmm. Times are different. Mores are different. Obviously, homosexuality was a known Mm -hmm. thing in rome but if you are a slave and you know that your duties require x y and z right. you can get okay with that but when z is sex work that's not yeah it's a I whole think it separate it's a whole
1: nother to my mind rather than the scene being homophobic i think what it meant is it robs this character of consent. Yeah, it robs him of his ability he, to be a he human knew, being.
0: Regardless of right. he, if he was, if he even if he was a homosexual, if his right. character was homosexual, um, it's a rape. Right. He he's been told that he's going to be raped. That's what has happened to this character. It's not and homophobic it, to I think that flee is also from that situation.
1: When you see the difference, and there's a real difference between. The two polar opposites in this film are Gracchus and uh, Crassus. Crassus, yeah. And Gracchus is Charles Lawton, who's very funny and very pithy, and very
0: no understands right. his place he in the world. Exactly colonizer, know he understands exactly what role is, And he has
1: a speech. Yeah. Now remember, this was written. The screenplay was written by Dalton Trumbo. Yes. Who had suffered from the
0: blacklist. Um, and they really he right. He lives, leans into it. Yeah. This has, yeah, this has shades of Mm -hmm. um, that thematically in here. But he sees, uh,
1: Gracchus sees, he says in his speech, you know, we've taken, this is Rome, we've taken two-thirds of the world away from its rightful owners. We've made slaves of, you know, these other countries, and maybe it would be good to find that speech, because it really is just eye-opening. The fact that... I'm looking for right, it. Right. Yeah. He's aware of it. But he explains this to, uh, to Batius. Batallus? Batallus, yeah. Um, Bataeus, and he's yeah. very much... He's very much aware of his place in the empire, of what it means to be in the Senate, of the mob being um, his, the voice of Rome. Whereas Crassus, his idea is that he's a patrician. And he's noble. And Rome is noble. And Rome is a beautiful woman that needs to be worshipped and served. And so one believes in empire and the other one doesn't. And yes. is being just functional. It's like, let's just get it. Uh, we The Roman people are who we serve. not The Roman people are not made to serve the patrician class because they're the patrician class. And so those two very different ideas are constantly in conflict. And I think that Gracchus or Crassus, rather, is a person who sees everything as accessible to him.
0: Yes. Um, I don't see it in the quotes, unfortunately. Mm. Um, But there's also a... I think we had a conversation and you were like, who's the bad guy? Right, exactly. Exactly. Uh, and I am always going to believe that the fundamentalist is the bad guy. Right. And Crassus is a fundamentalist. Um, he's a true believer. Right. He's a fanatic.
1: Yeah. And he, he
0: just, his speech. That's too, the word I want right. F- fanatic, not fundamentalist. Today, right. fundamentalists are fanatics. I apologize. It's like squares but, yeah. and rectangles. <laughs> uh, the scene where uh, Antoninus leaves
1: him is when he's going on. After he's gotten out of the bath, and he's looking at the hills of Rome and talking about how important it is to serve and worship Rome. Yes, and he doesn't seem to understand that none of these people that they've enslaved are Romans. That's the they're thing. Thracians, they're I British, don't love right. Rome. Rome yes. has
0: done nothing but harm me. Yeah, exactly. So why, why? A Greek. What? I think Antoninus is Greek.
1: Thracian. Uh, oh, oh, yeah, Antoninus. Yeah. Yes, and, and so you right have right. all these different. You know, and, and, and Drabo was Ethiopian, and you have all these different cultures that are essentially ruled over by Rome. And it's Crassus' opinion that they should all love Rome. Yeah. And there it seems as if their rationale is why. I'm a slave in Rome. You right. are the patrician class. Of course, you can love Rome. Right. But why do I have to love it too?
0: Yeah, I'm not, that's uh, telling black people to love right. America. I mean... Hey, guess what? (laughs) They probably don't need to do that. (laughs) It's probably fine. Mm -hmm. Um, the, uh, so Anton, I I mentioned Antoninus and Crassus' loss of a second slave now. He's down two. Um, because Antoninus becomes Spartacus's scribe Mm -hmm. and, um... Uh, translator, basically, Spartacus does not know how to read. Mm-hmm. Um and so we see him meeting with a pirate, basically. <laughs> Let's just call him a pirate. Um he was played by Herbert Lom, who
1: we previously saw or heard his wonderful voice. He's never he's never really you never get to he's one of these actors who you don't get to see his face very often. Oh okay. But we heard him like a Doug Jones <laughs> in the Dead Zone. Oh okay. He was the professor. Mm-hmm um, and we commented at the time how wonderful his voice, his voice is. is. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, he's he's very good.
0: So he, you know, Antoninus takes the contracts or takes the greetings from the visitors and reads them to Spartacus. And we find out that um, the goal here is that Spartacus and this ever-growing, um, I want to call them a revolt of slaves, I mean, <laughs> like in, like this... This, um, huge camp that he is gathering. And now there's kids, like, because they're freeing right. estates worth of people. It's not just adult slaves. It is all their offspring. And probably, I would guess, um, people who are, have been released from slavery, but want to go home. Because the the concept here is they are going to buy a bunch of ships for passage out of Italy back to their homes. Yeah. Wherever that is, so we've got a lot of ships going a lot of different directions. Um, he pays half up front and says we'll be there. In, and and he said uh, and he's challenged with what it's going to take you five, ten mm-hmm. years to fight your way there. And he's like, we're not there in seven months. It ain't going to happen. Like the Romans aren't going to let this continue, right? So we're either going to take over Rome or we're going to be. They're going to let us go. Or we're going to be decimated. Those are the three things. So we're going to head south. We're going to get on your ships. And we're going to bounce. And we think that rather than continuing to rock this boat that is kicking their asses so handily, they're going to let us go. That's sort of the gambit that is being made here. This is different. This and the things that happen here are different than what happened uh, historically. Mm -hmm. This this makes it all kind of come together in a much cleaner way, because we're storytelling, guys. We're storytelling. (laughs) Um, So, in Rome, there are... (laughs) Gracchus puts forward a problem solver to take care of this thing. And that problem solver is Julius Caesar. <laughs> so Gracchus is on Julius Caesar's side against Crassus. Um And Gracchus is pragmatic. Gracchus is like, Get, let them take the slaves. Just let them go. He says that that's what he's doing. But that is the, the side that he comes out on. Um, he has nominated Julius Caesar because he, he sees ha- that, that he is politically savvy and has a future, but also right. it's a target that's not him. Like you know, it's, he, can, he can stand up and, and bring everybody together and, and call them their arms and then immediately right. put a figurehead out so that he, oh, the blowback won't come back to him.
1: <laughs> and this is John Gavin who, like um, Clint Walker that we saw in The Dirty Dozen, is just an actor who probably should have played Superman at some point in his career.
0: Yes, yes. He's very tall. Plays, is, uh, right. Caesar, yes. He doesn't seem particularly bright, but he mm-hmm. doesn't have to be. Right. He's doing he's what he's told. He's a very told. young Julius Caesar he's very at the same young, time. Yes. And um, Gracchus and Bithytus, uh do come together um, mm-hmm. as well. There's a very... Your favorite, I think maybe your favorite scene, right. is them talking about how they both lean towards... Um, corp- corpulence. corpulence. Right. Um, they both are into bigger women. They're both bigger themselves. Right. Um, and that is the scene where um, Gracchus talks about yeah how Rome is Rome old, is a plunder. Rome, Rome is, is a plunder. Right. Like he literally just is like colonizers. Be colonizing. Right. What can I say? I got money from it, so I'm good with it. But I understand where we are. Right. And he's very much a pragmatist. Like he is. He's going to do whatever he has to to stay on top of that barrel in the, right. in the river. Like, he's not. Right. He understands and that there's alligators he, under there. And all. The like, fact oh, that yeah. he will say, I under-
1: know that Rome is the mob. hmm And the fact that when he says it, he's just sort of resigned to it. Yeah. When he j- Crassus is saying he it, there's just disgust. Are. He believes Rome is a patrician class. Yes. And everyone should be worshiping them, more or less.
0: Right it's a super republican yeah mindset. It's
1: very very familiar which
0: which makes sense because republicans are generally patrician mm-hmm. versus liberals who are more um who look at the government more as a mom figure right rather than a dad figure Yeah, so it's, it's weird but it is yeah why are the poor so upset because it sucks out here bitch <laughs> like right. what because you are hoarding everything yeah but so goes the mob. So goes Rome. Right. It turns out, um, and um, Crassus wants to be put in charge of the army to put down this revolt. That's what he wants. Mm. But the price that he is going to extract for that is like basically, I'm gonna be the fucking emperor. Like mm. we're we're gonna we're literally getting rid of democracy. Like he wants to close down whole sections of the government if he's going to be in charge of this army. And to, to for most of the movie, they're like, na-na-na-na-na-na-na. na we are not, that's too high a price to pay. Let the slaves go. Like, that's, we're not going to give over our entire governmental system to you uh, to put down this, this slave revolt.
1: I um, mean, what's strange is that he owns, historically, Crassus was the richest man in Rome. Okay, and we see him flex that kind of muscle yeah. all the time
0: in this film. Oh, uh, I do like that. Gracchus then says he gives. Okay, so the reason that we see him and Patitas together is because Patitas is broke as shit because he's had right. his, he's lost his school, and the only money he had coming to him was the two thousand dollars for Varinia, But then Verenia bolted. Right, exactly. And he never so he and he never paid, like he he was supposed to pay before he left, and he never did. I don't even think he gave him the twenty five thousand no. sesterce for the for the slave fight. So Crassus owes Crassus owes Titus like twenty seven thousand Um and, but he is at Gracchus's literally begging because he has nothing. nothing because of this revolt that happened because, because he knew that shit was exactly. going to happen, but Crassus didn't give a fuck. So and so and because Gracchus is he, he's like what. Uh, he says, Well, I'm gonna give you five hundred dollars. It's a lead on Varinia because he hasn't paid you for her, so she's still up for sale. Um, so I'll give you a deposit. She's not there. He's this is his way of giving mm-hmm. him some money and and right. getting his allegiance right, or keeping his allegiance, because they were already sort of uh, you know, friends or whatever, however <laughs> however they could be considered. Um and He's like, well, why, why would you put a deposit on a woman you've never seen? And he's all, well, because you're my friend. And to annoy Crassus. <laughs> like, you know, like, So some of that shit's petty. Some of it is like high-minded Rome stuff, and some of it is, because I hate that motherfucker and I want to annoy him. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, That's so funny. Because they're rich. <laughs> so they can. Um, Crassus... So Gracchus, we find out, was sort of behind the deal with the pirates to get the slaves gone. He's just like, if we could just get them, get the people who don't want to be here out of here, then we don't have to worry about them killing us. <laughs> so that is his ploy. Crassus is like, nope, you, you better love Rome. And, I, and he goes behind Spartacus' back, goes to the pirates, and pays them off to not right. show up. So Spartacus and his whole cadre, just thousands and thousands of people, both. And the the thing is, like, you want to be with this group because this group now is all of the house slaves. Mm -hmm. So they all know how to cook. All of the, the farm slaves, so they know how to grow things and mend things and take care of things, you know, nannies and stuff in charge of all the kids like the all the people in rome who are in italy who know how to do something are in this group
1: (laughs) and we see uh children we see Mm -hmm. elderly people Mm -hmm. we see
0: cooks and we see the yeah we see them cooking we see them mending we see them building and making things because they all they these are the people with the skills all the people in italy with actual useful skills and knowledge are the slaves.
1: Right, exactly.
0: Because rich people don't have to. They don't have to. They've been watching these people do
1: it for years. So,
0: yeah, this is the group you want to be with. So this, like, you can see, um, and you do, you see, like, couples together, and you see families together, and you see, you know, people who are together, like, same-sex, like, people who've clearly been together for years, like, 50, 60, 70 years. Um, And they're all feeding each other, like, it's a good, like, it looks good for them. But then the boats don't come up. And we find out that there is um a, a, an army coming from the left, uh, or the east, and mm. an army coming from the west. And they're going to converge on them. And it leaves Spartacus, he says, with only one option, which is to march on Rome. Yeah to try and sack Rome which is where Crassus is with the bulk of the roman forces so that's what we do we're going to do that we're going to march to rome we're going to try and sack rome probably not going to be successful they <laughs> he never gets that far though um they end up they they their their intel's bad and they end up basically um getting routed sort of by all three, because finally Crassus does have control of the Roman army. They did give him all of the things that he wanted. And he is, yeah, he's a dictator now. And he's a dictator now, and he marches um, down, and they... Um... There is a huge battle scene. Yeah, they. it's just it's a, bad, there's a bad... There's just a massive battle.
1: And there is... Um... It's really well staged because you get the sense before that this is, I think, Kirk Douglas' best performing in the film. Yeah, yeah. He's, the look on his face and Tony Curtis and everyone else, yeah. when they're seeing just how huge and organized the Roman army is.
0: That's the thing, yeah. Because it's... before
1: that, they'd been fighting people in the provinces. They'd been fighting the assistant general for Crassus. Yes. They've been fi- Who did not take them seriously. Right. They just raided his his uh, encampment at that. Yes. And now they're fighting the probably Crassus in front. I know that Pompey is one of the generals behind. Pompey is one of the ones behind, so it's, yeah. He's
0: fighting the, yeah. the very highest of the Roman generals. and At the, at the peak of right. that Roman fighting style where they were in those formations, those super right, exactly. tight formations that were almost impossible to break. Um, especially against a non- uh, these people know how to fight, and they're teaching. That's right. the other thing. They're teaching the 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 ones that were gladiators are teaching the other able-bodied people to fight, but they don't have armor. They don't, they fight, don't have. Yeah.
1: They're also not fighting cohesively, which I think no. was an interesting point in this film. One on one, they could slaughter any of the Roman soldiers. Absolutely. As a group, though, yeah, with their tactics, including the, yeah. the scuta, you know, the very large yes. uh, shields, and shields, essentially yeah. marching with them as tanks and yes. these other things.
0: They do. They turn themselves into right. football field size tanks. Right. That and are yeah almost almost impervious. Yeah.
1: Between that and all the other things that we mentioned, the weapons that they have at their disposal mm-hmm. and everything, it's really impossible for them to get through. Yeah. And that scene itself and, is
0: really violent. And yes, and he he has convinced them mm-hmm. with his words out loud to basically die fighting, like, yeah. don't get captured. Don't run. Take as many out as you can. But don't... Just die free. Like, just die free. Um yeah. And they... Um, uh, they do end up trapped between... um crasses coming one way, and then the army's coming up from the back, and they're basically decimated. Like... That huge. And we saw, like, that was the other thing. There are scenes where you see them coming, like walking mm-hmm. all together. And there are just, it looks like literally thousands of bodies. Yeah. I don't know how they he did it.
1: <laughs> I think one of the things that I pointed out to you was how really dangerous it looked like even to film this. Yeah. At one point, the gladiators let loose these logs that are covered in burning oil or something. And they're literally rolling over the Romans. That's you know the first wave of Romans coming up to, the, to face them on the top of this hill. And, um, and the problem is that Crassus is so indifferent to human life that he'll just keep sending people up there. Yeah. Whereas the gladiators have fought really hard to stay alive and to save these people, so they're not going to be sending people out there just to get yeah. mowed over. How these actors, and there's, there's shots in here where it looks like
0: people are catching fire... People- yeah, they're having these, like, burning... Right. F- like, these flaming straw bales rolling down a hill over actors. Yeah. <laughs> i just, just like, ah! Um, so, uh, Crassus wants to make an example of Spartacus. But, but Titus even says... Well, that shouldn't be a problem because you've seen him. Right. He fought in front of you at the, the thing that started this whole thing. You were fucking, you did this. You started all of this. Hey, all the people Mother who died. Peter, right. You did this. Um, and still, Crassus cannot place him. Can't yeah. place him. Don't, don't don't know who he, doesn't know what that man looked like because he never looked at the man who he sentenced to death. Sean Bean would be so upset <laughs> with you. Um, and so he says, you know, I, I will I will return you to enslavement, but I will spare your life. Just tell me who you are. And that's that's the I am Spartacus scene. Um, where Antoninus jumps up. Well,
1: because the thing is, he says, I'm going to I'll, kill, I'll, I'll deal with Spartacus because he'd already yeah. made that promise. Yes. He was going to bring back his head or his body or whatever else. He
0: says, I'll bring him back alive so you can um, deal him whatever justice you feel uh, he deserves. Mm-hmm. Or I'll bring you his head. And I was like, those are, <laughs> <Two different laughs> those are literally the opposite. So right. you've given yourself, I guess, free reign to do whatever the fuck you want. But I guess that's his whole thing. So it makes sense. Right.
1: Yeah. But one of the. he He's going to. He promises everyone else like a life in slavery, but still better than death to him. Yeah. And if Spartacus just comes forward, admit who it is admit who they are. And so Spartacus being... And he does. He is,
0: he's about... He, he doesn't want anybody right, else to he die. Stands so he stands up and says... He, well, he stands up, and mm-hmm. then Antoninus stands up and says, I'm Spartacus. So before he can open his mouth... He's already stood up. But Antoninus jumps up next to him and says, I'm Spartacus before he can say I am Spartacus. And then yeah. everybody else jumps up and says, I am Spartacus. And um and at that point, Crassus is like, oh, I'm so frustrated. They're not they're fucking with me and I don't like it. <laughs> um So he's like, Alright, well, we're just gonna murder all these people and crucify them uh on the road back to Rome. Woof. Um Meanwhile, we have found Varinia, who has had a baby, and he um he takes them prisoner and he tries to I I don't remember exactly how how it goes down. So he tries to force himself on Vernia or tries to get her to like love him. Like what what happens?
1: He's he really does sort of believe that he's irresistible, I think. Um and he tries, he gives her jewelry, he dresses her up very fine, he offers her food from his own table. Because his whole idea is that, oh, she's a slave and she'll be overwhelmed by this. Right. And she's been living in this camp, you know, and she'll be, but... Yeah, except the camp was bomb as hell. Right, (laughs) he's still, but she calls him on it. And this is, Mm -hmm. I think, her big scene, which is to say, why are you still so afraid of him? Yeah. You've conquered our army, you've, you know, probably, and she's maintaining along with other people that he's been put to death. He has a suspicion of who Spartacus is. Because he recognizes Antoninus and sees the two of them hanging out together. Yes. Yeah. Um, but she really, you know, calls him out and says, he, "He, you're afraid now of who he's become in the eyes of other people
0: and what yeah, he stands for." Yeah, that's what for. it is. It's that I'm, I'm loved, or I'm, I'm respected because of fear. He's mm. respected because of love. That doesn't bode well for me. Right. <laughs> like,
1: yeah. But he in the end, um the uh she rejects him. Yeah. And then we get the, the idea that um Bataeus actually or Batalus, I can, can, can call him Bataeus
0: Bataeus
1: Bataeus um mm-hmm. is making his claim on her in terms of Crassus gives him enough money to to make a claim to buy her. Okay. Right? So he escorts her out. In the meanwhile... That's right. Um, Crassus, aware of the fact that the two men that he has left at the very end of this long row of rotting corpses hung on, uh, you know, crucified, um, might actually be Spartacus. And so... Right. He gets those two to fight.
0: Yeah, he... he, he, And it's it's... It's an odd scene because you can't really tell if he s- understands who he is. sensing sending to fight here, he says he he says Antoninus. He grabs him and he's gonna. He says and you'll fight this one, and he points at Spartacus, but he doesn't say his name. He doesn't right. indicate that he knows who he is. And the winner um... is it. How does it? The survivor is to be crucified. So, you fight him to the death, and the other one's going to get crucified.
1: And Antoninus (laughs) actually wants to fight Spartacus at this point and to kill him, because he doesn't want to see him crucified. He doesn't want to see him crucified. But um but since Antoninus will himself be then crucified Spartacus kills him yeah he's like you you right. i don't
0: want i don't want to see you crucified no i and don't want to see you that's, crucified that's
1: actually the most touching moment yeah. really in the film between those two guys very much like uh, father and son right. At that right i love you like the son i'll never see yeah. and i love you like the father i never got to to meet yeah. so yeah. yeah that that winds up being sort of heartbreaking again it completely throws off crassus who really Wants He wants to fill every role for every person. Yes. And so, yeah, he sees himself really patrician. That, you know, he's everything to everybody. He's going to fill all these needs, and he just can't do it. And this man very casually does. Yeah. Without meaning
0: to. Yeah. And um, so he... Yeah, so Crassus is then just left sort of anxious. He's anxious because Spartacus, um, is going to live as a mar- like in legend as a mm-hmm. martyr. He's anxious because he's like Caesar is, like a. He's coming for me, and I don't like it. <laughs>
1: he tries to convince Caesar several times to go on the patrician side, and he does to a certain extent. He does.
0: He does after Gracchus tells um, mm-hmm. Caesar that he. Uh, he bribed the ships to come in the first place. Right. And so then he, like, sort of abandons Gracchus. um. And he, Gracchus, oh yeah, we gotta... Hmm. <laughs> Gracchus has a scene. He, um... <clears throat> now that Crassus is in charge... And, Rome is a fascist, tyranny state. Right. He does kill himself.
1: <laughs> but there's a really interesting, compelling scene where yeah. Crassus points out to him, and it's a direct parallel to Dalton Trumbo's own story. He, Crassus holds up a list of noble Romans, yes. or loyal Romans. Loyal Romans. And these are disloyal Romans. And this is your list, and you're on the disloyal Roman list, and your name is, number, is the, the top yeah. one. yeah. And so I'm going to give you the opportunity to move to a small farm and retain your title and your hold, and, but you're no longer going to be a member of the oh, right. the Senate. You're no longer going to be uh, retaining any authority.
0: You're literally blacklisted.
1: Right. Yes. You're going to show up every once in a while. and We're going to parade you around as an example of Roman generosity towards Ugh. the enemies of the state. Right. But, and you might have to make a speech about how generous we've been towards you. Woof. But in the end, you are going to be exiled. Yeah. And it that scene when I watched it this time, knowing now what I know about yeah. about Trumbo. right it yeah. it really kid hit home and I thought god that that's that's what they were fighting so hard against, you know what he fought so hard against,
0: yeah, I'm
1: but sure. yes, Gracchus um uh he he makes sure that uh Verenia escapes. Yes. Yes.
0: Yeah, so he says. Um, he says to his maid, Julia Gracchus, mm-hmm. The new master of Rome will be calling on me tomorrow and he wants me to make a speech. Take him to wherever I am and show me to him. <laughs> and Julia, when I meet you in paradise, describe to me the expression on his face when he saw me dead. Now go away! Go away! <laughs> um, yeah, but he does. He has. Bernie has been paid for like fourteen times <laughs> right. by so many different people. I don't even, I don't even understand. And
1: she hasn't seen a dime of it. Nope. No, she's going to because she's going to be shipped out of the the country. Yeah, they're they're going with Spartacus's son.
0: Yes, and uh, probably some money. I mean, they yeah had... yeah. There's there's some money that there means... was huge amounts of treasure that they were fixing to give those sh- Ooh, the
1: havers. when uh, when when um. Gracchus is giving money to uh, <laughs> to uh, Um He gives money specifically to get her out of the country, so she can start anew or yeah, whatever. That's right. Yes. So she does have some sort of fund, but on the way out, they pass right the,
0: the crucified Spartacus.
1: Uh, is he dead at that point no he's dying. he's dying he's in the sun for a very long time and she shows him the sun it, t-
0: it took on average three days to die yeah. on a cross
1: unless of course like some people they beat you to death well almost to death before they put you there yeah um, but generally it was a long long nasty death and they didn't they weren't going to do that to you because they wanted you to suffer as long as possible uh, I can't imagine what it must be like to be up in the, you know, off the earth in the Italian sun. Yeah. No. It, yeah. Exposed to the elements, and God knows. Uh, what Yeah, it and kind she's of,
0: like, "Die, die, yeah. just die, just go." <laughs> um. Yep. And then, and then his son is spirited away with his wife. that's the end?
1: So Spartacus. what did you, th- what did you think
0: Spartacus. of it? I think it would have been better with a different lead actor. But other than that, I liked it. Honestly. Like, I, I think he was the weakest. And his no, relationship... Think, would you feel that
1: way if you didn't know what you knew about him now? Yes. Or, okay. Uh-huh.
0: I don't... Yes. It wasn't about, I don't want to look at this man. It's that this man is not good at acting. <laughs> well so... <laughs> you got to see him
1: do the sort of things that he was very good at which is running and jumping and yeah but stuff like that that's not does not make an actor uh, sadly and i think no. that it's very much like the scene in um
0: and i'm like i would have rather watched woody strode be right.
1: spartacus there's a the scene in pulp fiction that i always cite as the reason why you should You sh- you know when Quentin Tarantino is there acting with John Travolta and Samuel Jackson oh, yeah, and Harvey Keitel.
0: Stop acting so, next to actual actors, <laughs> right? Quinn. So he just—he's not necessarily you set bad yourself actor, up for failure.
1: But when you set up Kirk Douglas in films where he's sharing scenes with Laurence Olivier, and you know he doesn't get to share any with um, with—he uh, shares some scenes with Peter Ustinov. Yes, not with um, Lawton, and not with Charles Lawton, but he, uh, but yes, it's just like he's not at that level of actor, and so he comes across looking kind of like you know the, the CrossFit champion who's decided to go into acting, um, and there are other parts where he's he's been better, but yeah, this film, he's, yeah, he he. He is not as
0: interesting. Yeah, um, I was just looking and seeing. Mm-hmm. Um, Peter Usenoff. Um If he, I know he was nominated for his role. Uh, yeah, and he won best supporting actor for for this role. Oh, Top Copy. That was his next one. Oh, that's um, a really fun movie. Yeah, I know. I like the name of it. Have you seen it? I think so. It's one of the very first heist movies. I think you showed it to me yeah. because of that. Yeah. Um. So yeah, he won the he won the uh Best Actor Award. This is the only acting uh nomination to go to this movie. <coughs> Which is Says some things about Ustinov. Although I don't think Olivier was particularly good in this movie. Um, he didn't get to chew the scenery the way that Lawton did. I think that's Ustinov. what it was. I yeah. think Ustinov and Lawton were so fun. Uh-huh. And he was explicitly not fun. Right. Like, that his was his role. He was not fun. <laughs> just like, to
1: be the representative of
0: empire. Yes. I mean, yeah. So, yeah. But it he didn't ha- even have sort of the air of haughtiness that I would have liked to see. It, and I think that was an... I think it's a choice. I think mm. he made a choice to underplay that right. as because it was just that well, of course I'm... Right. I, I am. Like, it's not about me putting on airs to be better than you. I'm just better than you. <laughs> right. Like, I don't... And and so it was very underplayed, and yeah. just so the underplayed and the no fun just made it kind of, uh, especially next to Lawton and Ustinov, Just we're just do like a yeah, they're there having a yeah. great time. And little, and he's not little, nothing little about him. But um, what did you say? Um, the one that plays Julius Caesar. Oh, Don Gavin. Gavin, who's like this wide-eyed ooh, right. <laughs> this puppy, this puppy.
1: We'll, we'll see him again. He's in Psycho.
0: Oh yes, Um, we will see him again then.
1: But uh, but yeah, it's and he's playing more of a part there. But here, uh, you can just see him as like I. I, This is the guy who actually conquered Britain, and you're looking at him going, "Oh, this guy has a huge future ahead of him." And there's a line that Crassus, no, no, Crassus, my regards to
0: your wife, right?
1: That one. (laughs) But there's a there's a whole uh, bit that he tells him about being uh, when he parts company with the Yeah. To to be aware of the sort of deceptions of those people that you think are your friends. And there's a great foreshadowing there. Yes. Of what happens. Like, we don't... Friends are not
0: a thing for you.
1: But he eventually (laughs) turns his back on both of them, really.
0: Yeah. Yeah, Yes, he does, of course. Yeah, that's going to be...
1: But it's one of those things where you're looking at it going, oh, that guy's... Uh, he's he's in for a wild ride for his future, but at the same time, there's little bits and pieces that warn you about what's going to happen to him, too. Yeah. That eventually he's going to fall in love with Rome, or or at least it was people like... Or the idea of... The people like Crassus actually him. kill him in the end. Yeah. It's not that I loved Caesar less I loved Rome more. That right. kind of defense that, that yeah. was made by his assassins. So the same kind of people that... He threw, throws Gracchus over four, The same kind of people
0: who kill him. Who kill him? Yeah, yeah. Um, did you think it was thrilling? I think there are parts. That of it word That word is thrilling. tricky. I think that's probably right. And I
1: think that the early parts in the Gladiator school were really interesting to me. Yes,
0: I think so too. And then there are there are scenes where, and I didn't even know the plot of the movie, but I'm watching them and I'm just going, "Don't teach, your, teach don't teach your slaves how to be the best fighters." <laughs> <laughs> like, don't. Teach slaves to be the literal best fighters in the whole country. <laughs> right. What do you think is gonna happen here? Like <laughs> they
1: just—they made the assumption. It seems that the slaves were somehow inferior in their thinking and in their thought processes because they
0: always do. And because they never they always right. Do. It didn't
1: occur to them that they would. All they have to do is use these same skill sets to get rid of this guy, and yeah, then and here's I, the thing know, I'm when afraid. you,
0: especially when you have proven to them that you can kill them at any moment Mm -hmm. well then what am i waiting for right and there's there's... there is a modicum of safety Uh and like well it could be worse when you aren't killing us in front of each other but oops you've let that go now so if i could die right now anyways i might as well try to win my freedom doing it (laughs) like uh, yeah don't give them literally nothing to lose and really good fighting skills. It's a bad combination. Um, mm. I didn't know that the whole movie was about a slave revolt, I was like, oh shit. It's so interesting. Yeah. <laughs> good job, storytellers. I, I thought the things you wanted right. me to
1: think. <laughs> yeah, I, I found it thrilling those scenes, those early scenes. I found some of the, as we talked about with 12 Angry Men, acting thrills, right? Um, when you get to see scenes with, really good actors just sort of going at it yeah. and acting. I like that because you don't get to see that a lot yeah. in movies. You get to see that more on television now. Yeah, I think um, that's right. There's pretty... a lot of, you know, people will write a scene like that, um, but you don't get to see it as much in the movies where you get to see actors just really acting. Yeah. So there's that kind of thrill, but I think for the most part, the thrilling part was the beginning of the film and then we get into what happens afterwards. Yeah, yeah. Um,
0: and that battle scene is... There's Amazing.
1: There's some thrills
0: in there, but, like, yeah. The,
1: the, the after effects of that scene, where Crassus is walking along, through looking for Spartacus, you know, yeah. trying to see what strikes him as being Spartacus, and in some of the same people that we've seen in these cutaways yeah. of the camp, these two children, this yeah. old couple, they're all just lying there in this dead. heap, yeah. this enormous heap of bodies. Yeah. That must have. Yeah, it felt very much like
0: um, uh, Spielberg Mm. um, borrowing it from it for, in like um, uh, Schindler's List. Right. Right. The following of that red jacket, but seeing these bodies of these people that we'd seen before. Yeah, we know
1: that Spielberg, of course, had a great uh at least in the end took a lot of mentorship from Kubrick. Right, that's true.
0: Yeah, um, I forgot about that. So that's true.
1: But uh but yeah, I can see that too. I can see uh, Mel Gibson used a lot of that battle scene in uh
0: Braveheart. Okay. Yeah, I can see that as well. Yeah. Um, right. You're where you're just seeing you're seeing the bodies of the people that yeah. we've been following even peripherally yeah. up till now. Yeah.
1: But um but yeah, so I can say that parts of it were thrilling in different ways. I think that overall, though, the movie affected me differently than the first
0: time I saw it. For sure, yeah. And uh, and knowing now what I do, mm-hmm. not, you know... Yeah, this it... is the first time I've ever seen it, so mm-hmm. I just am stuck with that. But honestly, I'd want it with a different lead because mm-hmm. I don't think he's very good outside of any allegations or, you know, being an asshole. I just don't find him believable and largely it's because this is supposed to be a character that is um without even trying inspirational and a draw to people and he doesn't he's not he because he doesn't interact Mm -hmm. smoothly with his fellow actors that fundamental piece of this character falls flat for me yeah so no, it's completely understandable. Pierre. So yeah. But I enjoyed the watch. Let me see enough. More <laughs> more of him, please. Maybe watch the original Death on the Nile. Right. I heard he was in it. Um, so next week. You know what we're watching next week? No, what are we watching next week? I give you a hint. It has Robert Mitchum in it. Cape Fear. Cape Fear from 1962. What have, it's I find it funny that he A did film s- I've never seen, I've so only seen the remake. Like <laughs> heroic parts. And um, I think of him as a career, right? And the two parts that he's neither <laughs> the you know, hunter in this right one. <laughs> that you really
1: that we're both going to see are parts see where he just went completely outside of his boundaries literally and
0: literally the only things i've ever seen him in really? so for me that is robert bensham he's mm-hmm. fucking terrifying right. he's a very very scary man and i never want to be alone with him apparently though he was a weed smoking goofball <laughs> i bet he i was. would love that. and
1: he him. was very much uh, and i made the comparison to you he was very much like matthew mcconaughey he was that kind of incredibly laid back Kind of,
0: I can't even, like playing, luck can't even with wrap around that, <laughs> right. but Matthew McConaughey has played Scary too, so right. I
1: mean, there's, well, Killer an Joe, there's another movie right. where and uh, where he plays that kind of part, yeah. But um, but yeah, Robert Mitchum was just you know, having seen Out of the Past, which is a really good film noir, and seeing the story of G.I. Joe, which I, I later found out is actually where the G.I. Joe doll, yeah. that took its name from interesting because he plays that guy, that foot soldier who. Was the backbone of of uh, why the United States led the allies in winning the war right. he's just a guy who's so put upon, and he ends the film just so exhausted he's really yeah. you really root for this guy but um, um but yeah, so he played all these heroic parts, and we're going to see the two the really line. creepy you yeah. know, like, pedophile performances that get the next yeah. one of him. But uh but yeah, so there we go. It's yeah, that, yeah, that so certainly Cape Fear is a from nineteen sixty two. Who mm-hmm. else is in it, do you know? Uh his opposite number is Gregory Peck. Okay. So awesome. it's just like <laughs> they
0: because yeah, 'cause cool. I've only seen the I've only right. ever seen the remake. And I don't know that I actually saw it. And they're both remake. in the remake as well. Are they? They both I love have that. cameo parts in the I remake. love that. Um so that's next week, 1962's Cape Fear. Mm-hmm. Um until then, right. do you have anything you'd like to recommend?
1: I will recommend something that I saw yesterday. Yeah, I figured you might. And uh, this is Guillermo del Toro. They're all um, out by the time this is right. released. Right, well, so known as Totoro-san.
0: Totoro-san.
1: <laughs> um, he did a series for Netflix called uh, Captain of Curiosities. And it is an anthology show. It is based, the first story is one of his own. And it is, I believe the last story is as well, yeah. It's a piece of antiquarian horror, very much like Watching the Skull, which is one of my favorite films. Um, there, the second story was Henry Kuttner, uh-huh. who was a, a really, um, a, he's one of the, uh, I, I imagine it, Lovecraft Circle would be part of it, but he okay. was... You wrote a story called "Graveyard Rats" that I thought was way too graphic to be put on television. Yet they did. Yet they did. Was and it as
0: graphic? As it was you, as graphic yeah, as, yeah, okay, as the story. Okay, right, i And so myself. that's why I'm warning people. For, so I haven't watched these yet. Yeah. I'm looking forward to them, but I am still not quite in a horror. Right. Mindset. I have been off horror for basically the last year. I just. Mm. I just don't want to. I just don't want to. He's had <laughs> so. picked the
1: directors, including Guillermo the Navar- Anna Lily Ampour, who directed a She A Girl Walks Home at Night. Oh, okay. Um a movie I still have to see. He uh Catherine Hardwick is doing Hardwick, okay. Dreams in the Witch House with Rupert Grint as Oh lead. interesting. Okay. And that's so, a, that's a Lovecraft story, right? Right. Dreams in the Witch House and Pikmin's model, he does two Lovecraft stories. So there's a lot of it's very literary. Yeah. And aside from his own contributions, these are all published short stories that I remember reading I believe
0: his are also, he's published books and and things. So, yeah, I believe that these are also published short stories. I could be wrong about that, but... um.
1: But, yes, it's it's really, the production values are very high. And particularly that first episode when you're watching it, because it's directed by a cinematographer. Yeah. uh, It's beautiful looking uh as as gross as it is it's beautiful looking but he also um i was just stunned because i we'd commented uh, we were you and i have had some discussions about how the recent Hellraiser movie didn't quite work for me and there were some others where i, I didn't feel that sort of where a film makes me uncomfortable the way that movies used to and this did I, i'm looking at it thinking oh that's something you know i didn't expect to see that and it takes you by surprise, but he hand chose the directors. Each of the films is really, um, of the ones I've seen so far, are amazingly photographed. And I'm looking forward to seeing the other things in this series that he
0: can come up with. Um, do you have something to recommend? I was tempted to recommend Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, mm-hmm. um, because it looks beautiful and amazing, but it's not out yet. Yeah. And I don't know when it comes out. It just says, remind me. It says, initial date, October 15th. And then it says, remind me. And I'm like, but it's past that. Water. And I don't know if it'll come out before this comes out. And also, I haven't watched it yet. But just, I don't want you to watch the one with Tom Hanks, because I hear it's terrible. The no. the new Zemeckis. For, don't stop watching Robert Zemeckis films. Just stop it! Don't what, do it it's anymore. It's a kiddie, if it wasn't made yeah. in the 1980s, please don't watch it. <laughs> it's
1: one of those directors that you're hoping for a comeback for him,
0: and he has fallen off of a cliff and can't seem to shake himself off. Um, yeah, I can't. I don't. Mm-mm. So, um, out absent that, outside that, I'm trying to think of what I have watched. What have I watched?
1: You've been spending a lot of time
0: Not watching anything. <laughs> and, yeah, I've yeah. been working and I've been, uh, yeah, going mm-hmm. on dates mm-hmm. without yes. movies and TV shows. Um, yeah, y'all, I don't know. Mm. I don't have anything to recommend to media-wise because I'm spending my media time watching YouTube videos and TikToks and I can't yeah. in good conscience Recommend doing that. (laughs) Um, So yeah, I guess check out Cabinet of Curiosities.
1: (laughs) Right, and again, warning people: it is,
0: it's going to get graphic. Oh, you know what? The School of Good and Evil. We watched it last week. Oh, that's right. It's honestly get high, marvel at those outfits. It doesn't make a lot of sense. It's it's pretty contrived. I mean, it's based on a series of young adult novels. Right. Um so there's some pretty blatant contrivances and like and tropes and things mm. like that. But it's fucking beautiful.
1: It is a really beautiful <laughs> looking film and it I, I was r- It is
0: it's 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 entertaining and it right. goes along. You're, it's not a slog to the watch. Art by the stretch. the
1: production values, all of those are really high. Yeah, they're, they're on a very high level. It reminded me though of something that Orson Welles said because I did. I'm mean, I love Orson Welles, but when I was doing research for the film that we did, Touch of Evil, um, it made me watch a couple of his older films again and some interviews. And one of the interviews, he said he's just disputing whether or not a movie needs a good script. He says, oh, they always tell you it's about the script. It's not about the script. You can do a great film about absolutely nothing. And then he says, again, he's not meaning to be mean about right. it, but he says, Fellini does it. <laughs> and he got this applause from the audience. It's like Fellini makes movies about nothing, but they're really fun, beautiful, great films that right. are about our childhood memory I had, or you know, the director right. who's, but, who's uh, losing his And I've never or,
0: seen a Fellini film, mm-hmm. but I would argue that there's a difference between the lightness of a Fellini film cuz right. my uh, of of a Fellini script because mm-hmm. my understanding is those are large stretches of not a lot of talking right. so your script is just thin that doesn't make it bad no. this script had there were talking all the talking all kinds of exposition and talking it like right. there was a lot of words in that script they didn't add up to a whole lot they
1: didn't <laughs> the, I think the the issue that I had with the words is that the um the endings were predictable. Uh-huh. Predictable, not predictable. Were predictable and there also were um there were moments when it seemed inconsistent.
0: Yeah. I think there were some internal inconsistencies. I think that's because of things that happen later on in the series. Right. Which is always the problem with the first the first of a series. But the pr- but my problem is, yes, except for the books have been written. So if you're making the first in a series of movies based on the books, you could just not make those mistakes. Right, exactly. You could just write them out. <laughs> you can change it. But You can change it to right. make sense. Coherently with the whole story that you're and this is out. Something
1: I recently was reading uh, I had a discussion with a friend of mine about the Gollum character in Lord of the Rings mm-hmm. and how how he changed over the series of books because Tolkien realized, well, I never describe them in very much detail and Illustrators began making pictures of Gollum that towered over Bilbo. Oh, interesting. Himself. Okay. He was too, and I'm like, well, no, no, he's supposed to be, and he realized he didn't share a lot of that backstory, so he
0: retroactively, in different editions, changed it. Oh, is that how he? Because he mm. made him a hobbit. He'd right. He had pre- previously been, hobbit. So been a hobbit. Previously been a hobbit that size
1: right so <laughs> you just realize oh i left that out and so he went back and just, so if you can go back and change things, you can change not, you can
0: absolutely go back right. and change things and if you're making a movie yes exactly you use the totality of what you know not what was in book one yeah. like yeah which is why jk Rowling told alan rickman yes plot points for snape that had not been published yet early in the filming process so that he would be playing it was correctly. startled
1: by how Alfonso Cuaron picked up on those things yeah. and actually just told her, is this what's going on? This it seems like what's going on. And she was, because he did the opposite, he just immersed himself in all of it, Yes, all the books, which I hadn't even been yes. finished publishing at the time. But no. he was predicting the outcome of parts of the series that she was sort of surprised about. Which I don't know why you would be surprised he is a storyteller. But his attention to detail also was. Yes. And something that's even funnier, um, I'd mentioned that uh, Guillermo del Toro uh, was one of several Mexican directors who were working in Spain on an anthology horror series when they were very young. And the other two directors that came out of that were Cuaron Cuaron and Iñárritu. So, it's very funny seeing them all now. They've all won their Academy and Awards. And so f-
0: they're still super close. Like right. They still are like that group of friends that you call for support. Yes, like, there's a really so funny... Cool. I don't know. I
1: hope I can find an interview with Charlie Rose where all three of them are yeah. on. Yeah. And they're just giving each other hell. Just I feel like that would be a way. cool right.
0: group to be a part of. How do I get invited to that? <laughs> exactly.
1: But, yes, I would recommend... Those are two good recommendations. Yeah.
0: So it's, it's like I said, mm-hmm. get altered however you want to get altered. Turn your brain off and just watch a yeah. pretty silly, straightforward movie. I don't mind a predictability. I watch rom-coms. Yeah. That's all predictable all the time. So, All right. Next week, Cape Fear. Cape Fear. Uh, oh, in the luck. meantime, if you have questions or comments or concerns, you can email us at latecomerspod at com. You can find us on Twitter at latecomerspod.com. Elon Musk is actively firing Twitter, C, uh, Twitter um, executives right now because he's finishing his takeover. So we may not have a Twitter anymore. Um, and on Facebook at uh, Latecomers Pod, <clears throat> or by searching Latecomers Podcast in the search bar on Facebook, that's how you do it. Uh, until next week, I would like to remind you: please take your medicine. This means you too, across from the room from oh, me. I, I take it <laughs> okay, good. And we'd like to remind you, better Better late than than never...